You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Be'ezras Hashem, tonight we're going to be continuing our series of shirim on the inner world of trauma. And this week's shir is going to be the eighth shir in the series. And Be'ezras Hashem, I think we should get to a close just as uh, we're leaving America, getting to Eretz Yisrael in preparation for the Torah of Eretz Yisrael. But um, tonight's shir is going to be titled The Fullness of the Void. And it's going to be a continuity, a continuation of what we discussed last week as well. Last week, what we spoke about in particular was the reality of doubt, of confusion, uncertainty more precisely, and our relationship with the ambiguity of reality as symptomatic of the Eitzadas Tevara, which is referred to as the Ilona Desveka, that the human experience in this world is cut through with ambiguity that a person doesn't know and a person cannot know. A person doesn't know what's going to be, a person doesn't know what was, and a person doesn't know what's going to be in the future. And as a result of that, on the one hand, we live our lives suspended in doubt, always assuming that something overwhelming and unmanageable is going to take place at the next moment, which is the birthplace of anxiety, the experience of that the rotating fiery swords, whose glisten gives birth to the confusion and the transition between light and dark, dark and light. But we also spoke about how an individual who has come to terms with the uncertainty at the core of reality, more than not being bothered by it, they also have the capacity to cultivate the perspective of faith, of amuna, of a knowing, a, a faithful knowing that is so true that it exists beyond certainty or uncertainty. And it brings us into a place of sipuk, of satisfaction, rooted in the sveikos that are in the highest imaginable place in the process through which HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates reality, we come to understand that our inability to know anything with certainty is not symptomatic of some fall that shattered a previous certainty, but rather it glistens and it hints towards a way of living our lives with suspended judgment, where we no longer try and make things certain versus uncertain, but rather we live in the delicate balance between uncertainty and certainty at once, because all that is true is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. All that is true is Amuna. And we come to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Sveikos themselves, and we describe the Ein Simcha Katar Sveikos, there's no joy like the undoing of doubts. Tonight, what we're going to be speaking about is more of the ontology of trauma as opposed to the psychology of trauma, but obviously ontology and psychology are deeply connected with one another. Metzius and the Metzius of the Adam are both two halves of a similar coin. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is the halal, the void that appears after trauma. That like we spoke about, so much of our human condition is rooted in habituation, 
that as human beings, we attempt to cultivate habits, we attempt to cultivate certainties throughout our uncertain lives. And the way that we create certainties in our uncertain lives is by doing the same thing over and over again. And that if what I've done yesterday had this result and what I did the day before had the same result and what I did the day before that day had the same result, then I grow accustomed to expectation and assuming that this action is going to bring about a similar result. And a human being learns to forget about the unsturdy nature of reality. Because the unsturdy nature of reality, that it's only with the desire of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he upholds things, and it's the desire of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that unfolds things, that awareness, the acute awareness of the fact that that the world is sustained upon nothingness, and that the sturdy ground that we walk on is in truth the fluid waters and waves of experience that bear no order whatsoever, but rather bring us face to face with the tohu, the kedusha, with the holy chaos of what it means to live in a world beyond knowledge in a space of faith, because we don't want to live with an acute awareness, a hyper-focus on the contingency of all things. So we grow accustomed to hergil, we grow accustomed to habituated experience, and we expect that what we did before is going to continue bearing the same fruits ad infinitum. So we stop questioning what is going to come, and we begin to live with an assuredness as to what is going to arrive. And then when reality, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides to give us a different result than what we expected, that in and of itself is the trauma. It is the sudden shattering of my expectations. It is a sudden realization that just because I want something, and just because I demand something, and because I expect something and I feel that I have something coming to me, doesn't mean that that's what I'm going to get. And when a person comes in contact with the very frightening fact that my rutzel, my desire, my will does not dictate the fabric of reality. So a person comes face to face with the unsturdiness and the instability that rests at the core of reality. If we live the life of fullness, if a life where things go smoothly in accordance with our expectations, I get to work at time, the people I trust are to be trusted, the jobs that I find interest in are the ones that are going to last, the relationships that I attempt to secure for myself, they're going to be the lasting relationships. As long as a person lives their life rooted upon the basic assumptions of what I expect and what I have coming to me, then a person is feasibly living a life of milui, of fullness. There's a fullness, there's an expression of the self, and it's a direct face-to-face -face encounter with reality. I'm not afraid, I'm not vulnerable, I've grown accustomed, I have forgotten about the contingency of all things, and I have learned to forget long enough to rest assuredly in this worldliness and to expect things to be exactly the way I want them to be. And that state of fullness, that state of satisfaction and saturation, while it is in truth representative of a hint of a desirable spiritual position, which we'll discuss afterwards, more often than not, the fullness and the saturation and the satisfaction that we find in our day-to-day -day lives is rooted much more in a forgetting of reality than it is in an engagement with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We forget contingency and therefore we allow ourselves to lull ourselves into the silent complacency and stability of what we assume day-to-day -day life to carry for us. And we walk around full-hearted, full with a full stomach and a full body, walking around as if Ani HaGever, I am the person, I am the one who is in charge 
charge of everything. It is I, I, I. My ego dictates what the world is going to give me. My ego dictates what reality is going to serve me. And a person tends to forget the fact that in truth, reality offers a person the very opposite of fullness. And suddenly when something comes and shatters that pre-existing sense of fullness, that pre-existing sense of miloi, of being malay, of being a whole individual without any consideration giving to the deficiencies that exist hidden within the recesses of my heart, when something suddenly comes and ruptures the ground, when there's a sudden breakdown of that order that I've come to expect, when something sudden pierces the veil of the ordinary and the expected, fullness gives way to emptiness. And the life that I lived previously, a life that had a prescribed form of meaning and purpose and essence in my perspective is shown to reveal itself to be unstable at its very core. And it reveals itself to be empty. The ground opens up and instead of miloi, instead of purposefulness and meaningfulness and a sense that the world is in line with me and I am in line with the world as if it's a mutual relationship, that the world and reality and me as an individual are both serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu together. That fullness is shattered when I come to realize that, oh my goodness, the world, reality that I thought was so on my side, was so in line with what my desires are suddenly has revealed itself to be playing for another team, suddenly has revealed itself to not care whatsoever about my expectations and the ground opens up. And when I peer and I gaze deep enough into the abyss, what I come to find is emptiness. And this emptiness, this sudden rupture of the order and the meaning that I have cultivated for myself and that has allowed me to rest assuredly in my stability in this world, is an encounter with emptiness, an encounter with vacancy, an encounter with profanity, with a profane reality. When I live my life with an immature sense of wholeness, I also walk around with an immature sense of kedusha, a sense of holiness, as if the world serves me and the world is there to offer itself to me. But suddenly the ground opens up and the rupture takes place, and that immature sense of kedusha and wholeness gives way to a sense of chilul. It gives way to a sense of something has been profaned. There's an emptiness now. There is a splinter of emptiness that has lodged itself in the throat of fullness. And my assumptions about the world and my assumptions about other people and my assumptions about myself have been torn asunder, leaving me face to face with the terrifying abyss, with that emptiness, with that halal, the word halal, which means a void, implies that there was something previously there and now it's empty. It's an abysmal site of emptiness. It's also the same etymological root as chilul, as something becoming profane. Because fullness and wholeness and our assumptions that things are going to work in accordance with our expectations or our desires is very often seen as a life that is filled with meaning. As a meaningful life, I wake up with the assumption of what the day is going to give me. So I have a very prescribed order of what I need to do during the day in order to acquire that day's work. But suddenly when that meaningfulness is sucked out of my experience and I come face to face with the halal, I come face to face with the vacant space, an emptiness in the sight of wholeness, a silence in the sight of a voice that was speaking to me prior to it, I tend to become paralyzed and a person now faces this yawning abyss that stands right in front of them that reminds them at every given moment that what you expect doesn't mean anything. 
that what you want doesn't mean anything. The fact that you have desires, the fact that you have expectations, the fact that you think things are supposed to be fair, the fact that you think that the world is coming to you and that you deserve something in this world is suddenly torn asunder and a person is, comes face to face with profane where the holiness is sucked out of it. And God forbid when a person encounters a trauma like this, when a person encounters whatever type of trauma, capital T trauma, lowercase t trauma, that creates a chilul in their life, it creates a vacant space in their life, where once there was meaning, now there's an absence of meaning. Once there was wholeness, now there's emptiness. It forces a person to be mismodeed to confront the question of emptiness. And the question of emptiness is a frightening one, because the question of emptiness brings us face to face with a question that cuts to the core of all of our experience in this world. What we want in this world is to live lives of meaning. What we want to live in this world is an assumption that the world cares, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu cares, that there's some intelligible force that gives birth to reality and governs reality through Hashkacha Pratis, which Avada is true, but the trauma shatters that perspective. And it leaves us with an emptiness. The early existentialists, the existential philosophers, what they would say in the harshest of terms to try and create their vision of an existential universe, which in terms of what we're describing is ultimately a post-traumatic universe. Because prior to the trauma, prior to the shattering of my expectations, prior to the tearing apart of the connectivity of reality, prior to the destruction of the status quo, we weren't too bothered with the question of existence because the content of existence gave us enough to be occupied with. The content of existence, the content of my day-to-day -day life was enough for me. But when the trauma takes place and the content of existence empties itself out and it leaves us coming face-to-face -face with the halal, what we begin to question is what is the purpose? We begin to question the purposefulness of all things. We begin to question whether there is an ultimate purpose or ultimate meaning. And the systems of truth and the systems of stability that we used to trust in our lives turn out to be unstable ruins that make it very difficult for us to rest ourselves upon them. And what the existentialists spoke of when they spoke of a world that was devoid of meaning they described in a formula as follows, that as opposed to the religious thinker, as opposed to the spiritual thinker, as opposed to the meaningful thinker who demands and convinces themselves that essence precedes existence, what the existentialists announce for us is that in truth, existence precedes essence. And what this means to say is as follows, Essence is a sense of meaning. Essence is a sense of purpose. Essence is a sense of cohesiveness, connectivity, unity, a sense of the world fitting into itself, my life fitting into itself with each step leading to the next step, leading to the next step in a directional way of ashray timi medarech, of a perspective of living life, walking along a path that is going to lead me to a particular destination. When I live my life with an essence, with a mahus, with a direct, particular, central point that holds my entire world together, that Evan Hashasiyah, which holds it all together, holds all of my different desires together, at that point, I live with an essence, and the essence precedes existence. Existence, my reality in this world, is secondary to the essence of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from me. I know that there's a larger purpose, and that's the larger purpose that I have to live out in this world. But when our essence stutters, 
And when the things we trusted so deeply turn out to be less trustworthy than we want them to be, and when our presumptions about reality are shown to be wrong observations or faulty observations, suddenly the essence of our lives, the mahus of our lives, the sense of purpose in our lives, the sense of tachlis, and a directed purpose towards which I'm living my life, the meaning at the core of my life, is shown to be much less sturdy than I expected it to be. It gets erased, and now I come front to front or face to face with reality itself, existence itself, devoid of an essence. And this is what the existential philosophers and psychologists describe as the general prescription of a tortured experience is the realization that existence precedes essence as if the world is what it is in its unforgiving nature, meaningless, devoid of purpose, and it's the human mind that comes and constructs purpose afterwards, that we apply some sense of essence in order to make life reasonable to us. This is that post-traumatic sense. Prior to the trauma, we live life with an essence, and that essence, that purpose, that tachlis informs our encounter with existence. And after the trauma, when the essence, when the purpose, when the directionality of our lives seems to be pushed off course, we're left coming face to face with only existence devoid of essence. And when a person lives a life of existence devoid of essence, there's nothing more frightening or empty than that. The psychologist Lacan in particular describes the encounter with the real, with reality itself. And he describes reality as the traumatic kernel that rests underneath all human subjectivity, all human constructs, whether they be imaginary or symbolic, that when we cut through and we give way for language to shatter itself apart and for meaning to shatter itself apart, as if, if when we're honest enough with ourselves to gaze at the real itself, what we'll come to realize is that it's trauma all the way up, all the way down, and that human beings are not in control of anything, God forbid. And this is, again, for the sake of setting up the solution, the problem is encountering a life that appears to be devoid of meaning, devoid of purpose, devoid of anything essential. And as human beings, we are just thrown into the world, tasked with trying to make order out of disorder and to realize that any order we try and create for ourselves is contingent and flimsy at best. And what that gives birth to obviously is going to be a post-traumatic mindset where every step that I take, every encounter that I have, every purposeful action that I give my effort into is going to be cut through with a deep question mark that says, perhaps things are going to fall apart. Perhaps the center cannot hold. Perhaps there is no evanshesia. Perhaps all there is is diffuse scattering of experience that holds nothing together without any central point of connectivity, without any tachlis, God forbid. This attitude is referred to by the tzaddikim, by Rafutner, as the koyach achilu, the koyach of profanation, the koyach of looking at the world as if it has lost meaning, as if the ideas and what I want and what I've come to expect bear no semblance and bear no relationship with reality itself. And when a person falls into that halal, when a person falls into that empty space, when a person falls into that place of chilul, of the emptiness, 
what we're experiencing is the fullest expression of a chilul Hashem, as the Nefshachayim points out. That the halal, the emptiness, comes from the same language as chilul, because when I see a world that is devoid of order, when I see a world that is devoid of purpose or directionality, that creates a perspective of a life that is devoid of meaning, what that is, is a chilul Hashem. It's a chilol Hashem in the truest sense of the word, because what I've done is I've come and emptied Hashem from this place right now. I've come to say that this world is void. This world is voided and it has no purpose other than to create difficulties for me. And as a human being who lives a post-traumatic reality where the meaning that I created prior to to fill reality has been torn apart, at that point, I look at my spiritual activity, my psychological activity, my physical activity, and I see them simply as, you know, options of trying to figure out how to function in a world that has gone crazy, as opposed to living a purposeful and meaningful life. But thankfully, and this is always the case in the series of shirim that we're giving, it's an attempt to live with the problem for a moment, lean into the problem, and then be blessed with the Torah HaKadoshah, with our tzaddikim, who come to give us an insight towards that problem, to transform the darkness into light, to say that very sight where you feel is the most traumatic kernel of reality is in truth the point of maturation where a person has the capacity to transform their immature spiritual perspective into a more mature spiritual perspective, albeit a more difficult one, Prior to the trauma, prior to the shattering of meaning, we live in a state of naivete, we live in a state of illusionment, we live in a state where that, that childish spirituality, of Cook refers to as that, that infantile spirituality which expects things to be perfect and which expects the human being to be capable of grasping the essential truth in all things. We live in that state of naivete prior to the breakdown, prior to the shira, prior to the trauma comes along the trauma and it forces us into a state of maturity. It forces into a state of, of godless amaychen where we are stuck thinking like, oh my goodness, what is this place? What is this world that you've created, Rabbi And What is this trauma? What is this mess? And then what the Torah HaKadosh allows us to do is enter into a state of katnusheni, a state of second naivete. The second naivete as the theorists refer to it, is the willingness to enter willfully into a state of naivete that doesn't deny reality, but takes reality into consideration with all of its brokenness and all of its trauma. And in spite of all of that brokenness, the, the second naivete allows me to live with a certain perspective of mature faith that takes the trauma into consideration that gazes at the abyss, that looks at the chala, it looks at the emptiness of reality, and it says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what do you want from me in the emptiness of reality? So the maturity and the recovery that the Torah HaKadosh offers us is not one that ever denies the reality of trauma. It's not one that denies the difficulty of being human. Like we said, it's a Pashat statement in Nivra. It would have been easier and more pleasant for a person to have not been created than to have been created. But what the Tzaddik and tell us is that it doesn't say mutav, it doesn't mean that it's better. Because it's obviously better to be created. Because as created beings, we have the capacity of revealing HaKadosh Baruch Hu's infinite light in the lowest imaginable places, which gives birth to the it gives birth to that supplemental 
beautification of infinitude. Because prior to creation, prior to the neshama coming down into this post-traumatic halal, spirituality and infinity only existed above in the realms of Atsilus. But now that the neshama comes down into this post-traumatic realm of the halal and the chilul and the emptiness and the vacancy and the purposelessness and the meaninglessness of it all, and then we choose to enter into a state of second naivete where we forget about all of the questions and we allow ourselves to abandon our logic and to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu like an insane person, like a crazy person, like Rabbi Nassim Mebreslov said that that a person has to fight insanity with insanity. And when we're willing to suspend our logic and give in to the insanity of what it means to be a Yid in this world who holds strong onto Amuna in spite of all things and continues to wait for redemption in spite of all things, and we live that state of second naivete, the Torah Kadesha offers us a pathway through the trauma that not only helps us cope with the trauma, but reveals that the trauma has given birth to a more intense and more powerful spiritual experience than could have been experienced without the trauma itself. And so now we're going to begin to talk about the healthy way that the Torah offers us a pathway through the halal, through that vacant space, through that empty space in reality. And with this, we have to make a retreat back to the beginning, back to for the beginning with the Arizal. Arizal tells us in the very bare narrative of the unfolding of reality is that prior to the creation of the world, there was the fullness of the infinite light. The Orain Sof was Malay everything. Everything was saturated. There was no room for anything other than HaKadosh Baruch Everything was meaningful. Everything was purposeful. There was no possibility of losing sight of that. And in order to create the world where HaKadosh Baruch Hu could express his compassion, his rachamim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is mitzamsim himself, HaKadosh Baruch Hu concealed himself, or revealed himself in a way of concealment. He was megala, he gave birth to a concealing veil that covered over the infinitude of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's light. And what that revealed was the halal hapanui, the vacant space, that empty void. So first and foremost, what we have to understand is that this void that the existentialists speak of, this place of existence preceding essence, wherein life is meaningless and tachlis is empty, what the Arizal tells us is that, yeah, sure, there's a void, but you have to understand that that was specifically our Kaddish Baruch who created the world. And instead of looking at, uh, looking at it as an accidental emptiness, we can begin to look at it as the very way that a Kaddish Baruch reveals himself. But the halal is the very site, the void is the very site wherein reality is going to take place. And this void, this halal, this emptiness, far from being the death of meaning, is in fact the birth of meaning. Because what we're capable of doing once HaKadosh Baruch Hu has moved himself out of the way, so to speak, and created that vacant space within human wherein human volitional activity can take root, it's now up to us to create our own meaning as opposed to finding a prescribed meaning in the world and living with that prescription, HaKadosh Baruch Hu destroys the prescribed meaning and gives us the capacity to create meaning on our own, to draw the ray of infinite light, the Kav or in Sof, back into the Halal through our own desire and volitional activity, through our hope, through our davening, through our yearning, through our conscious awareness, of what it means to be a human being, we become the ones to fill the void. 
Had HaKadosh Baruch Hu not created the void of meaning, there would have been no capacity for human being to fully manifest themselves as that which they're meant to be, which is an Adam el something that is representative or similar to HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. And just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates meaning, so too does the human being create meaning. It's our job as B'nai Adam, which Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa says comes from the language of Dimyon, to imagine our own meaning. We live in a world of a second naivete. We live in a world where the original tachlis, where the original purpose seems devoid from us. But instead of feeling that the world is then meaningless, what we do is we allow ourselves to create our own narrative. We allow ourselves to fill our own halal. We allow ourselves to confront the emptiness of reality and say, this is not emptiness, this is fullness. HaKadosh Baruch you're here everywhere. The emptiness is simply the way that you reveal yourself. The meaninglessness is simply an opportunity to engage in the hermeneutical principles upon which the Torah HaKadosh is rooted to draw down new meaning. One of the most remarkable things about the Siddur, in my humble opinion, is the fact that before Psuke de Zimra, we say the Yud Gimel Midosha Torah Nidreshes Bahen, the 13 hermeneutical principles through which the Torah is interpreted. Philosophical hermeneutics, the way that we interpret reality as a text. It becomes tefillah because the, the life of an individual is to interpret life, is to translate life, is to reveal the hidden text that exists hidden within the halal, within the void, to create new permutations of meaning, to see how those struggles and those difficulties and those breakdowns, far from being the death of my experience, are in truth the opportunity to dive deeper into life. Which is why the tzaddikim tell us that the word halal, the word for the void or for emptiness, is the gematria, the numerical value of 68, which is the same gematria as chayim, as life. That while at first glance the halal, the void, seems to be the very opposite of fullness, of meaning, of purpose, it represents post-trauma. In truth, it presents the opportunity of chayim sha'al mimcha, that we get to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for life. We get to force HaKadosh Baruch Hu through our own minds to create new meaning. Because every concept, every moment that a Yiddish Neshama engages with reality and is mitmodeid with what appears to be empty and creates their own meaning, that becomes a new chilek of Torah. Every thought that a Jew has that gives birth to a possibility of engaging with this world with more hope, with more amuna, with more bitachon, with more simcha, becomes part and parcel of Torah Shabal Peh that was revealed to Moshe Rabbeinu by Harsina. That our very lives, our emotions, our hismoididus, our ways of coping with reality in a post-traumatic world is in and of itself the Torah. The Yud Gimel Midosh Bahem, the 13 hermeneutical principles, the students of the Vilna Gon point out that 13 is the gematria of Ahava, of love, it's the gematria of Echad, of unity, of oneness, because it is the fact that we are born into a world that is a jumbled, meaningless text that has shattered and given birth to an emptiness. And through our interpretations, through our learning reality itself as Torah, we allow ourselves to connect through love and unify the disparate parts of reality to create some cohesive theory of meaning in our lives. The second naivete, a meaning that allows for the loss of meaning, a meaning that allows for difficulty. And it's this halal, it's this emptiness that becomes the very site of Chayim. The Eimek tells us that the entire purpose of reality 
was that prior to the tzimtzum, prior to contraction, prior to the loss of meaning, prior to the breakdown, prior to the trauma, prior to that cataclysmic emptiness, which gives birth to the unanswerable questions that each and every one of us encounter in our day-to-day -day lives, as Rabbi Nachman of Breslov describes in the 64th teaching of Lukutamaran, prior to the creation of that vacant space, which creates the possibility of creativity and song within each and every particular neshama, because now we get to write our own song, as the Piyazatznerah tells us at the end of Savaziras. Prior to that, the entire world was filled with the Avir de Eretz Yisrael. The whole world was filled with the air of Eretz Yisrael. Everything was saturated. Everything was clear. There was purpose in every Amma that a person walked. And then that air of Eretz Yisrael is vacated from that space and a halal, an empty void is given there. And we fall back down into the rest of reality, into the rest of the geographic plane of spiritual experience. And our job, says the Emekamelech, is not to learn how to live in the vacant space, but it's learn how to transform the vacant space into a space of wholeness. To reveal that it's been whole all the time, as Leshem Shabbat tells us in the name of Rav Yosef Kiktalia, in the name of all of the tzaddikim, that Ein there is no emptiness whatsoever. And even the halal is not empty, even that which appears to be void and vacant and meaninglessness and empty, as if it's an existence that precedes essence, there's an essential purpose that exists buried within the very fabric of that empty space. That the empty space is the site of Chaim, it's the site of creativity. Rav Tzadok HaKohen Lublin and Rav Yitzhak Kutner tell us something incredible. When it comes to understanding the nature of music, Chazal tell us in the fifth parak of Meseches Brachos that that someone who has not seen the Simchas Beis HaShoeva in their days has not seen joy in their days. And what was the Simchas Beis HaShoeva? While everybody else was dancing on top, when everyone was dancing about the water libations, the Gemara tells us that David Malka Mashiach, David Melech, the traumatized king, the king of trauma, the king who found light in trauma, the king who transformed trauma into light, the king who was able to say, the king who was able to live through the traumas, through the countless thousandfold spears and knives of death bringing speech the king who was able to transform emptiness into wholeness. What he did is he found himself in the basement of the Beis HaMikdash. And unfortunately, somehow, some way, the Tahomos began to rise, the abysmal depths began to rise to inundate reality. The existence that preceded essence comes to erase all essence, unbeknownst to everybody who's dancing upstairs in their Simcha, the Simcha Space Hashuayva. And David Melech sees the water rising, sees the possibility of tohu inundating reality again, a second trauma coming about, another tzimtzum, another shira. And what David Melech does is he says the 15 shira maloisim, and he pushes the water back down. Because the only way to confront that burgeoning sense of emptiness is to sing out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is to say, Rabbi the world looks empty, but we know better. We know that it's an emptiness that is full, that there's no emptiness in reality. And what was the song? Where was the music coming from at the Simchas Beis HaShoeva, at this site of joy? It was coming from the Khalil, it was coming from the flute. Chazal described the source of music as the Khalil. It was the Khalil of Moshe, the flute of Moshe. And Rav Huttner points out, how did the Khalil, how did the flute make music? It was an empty vessel. And it was only through breathing air into emptiness that we were able to create music. The same is true with guitars and any air instrument. 
that it's only by playing on the empty spaces in our lives that we're capable of truly uncovering our particular song our particular way of being mismodeed, of confronting the emptiness and filling it through our own experience, through our own neshama, to breathe in and then to breathe out by emptying, emptying the lungs and allowing our neshama to give birth. That it's the emptiness itself that is the very site of meaning because it's the canvas upon which the Yiddish neshama is capable now of creating its own meaning. That who Mikhailil Pashenu, that Mashiach Tzidhenu comes along and he, through the halal itself, gets rid of all the inequity by showing us that, Hevra, do you not realize that you just made it through a world that at first appeared to be devoid of meaning because of all of the traumas, and now you're capable of filling it with your own meaning? You become the Chilul. You become the Khalil. You become the flute itself. We play music out of the empty spaces in our lives. Balasulam points out that every day we make the bracha of Asher Yatsar and we say that nekavim, nekavim, chalulim, chalulim. There are orifices and there are holes. Nekavim, nekavim are holes that are meant to be fulfilled with something, with air, with breath. But the halal is an emptiness that is meant to remain empty. The halal in our lives, that source of chayim within our lives is meant to be empty because something that is completely saturated and full negates the capacity of human creativity of creating my own secondary meaning of confronting a post-traumatic world and choosing to see the light in it in spite of all of that i will await and anticipate meaning even though each and every day brings with it the breakdown of meaning and when we're capable of uncovering this vitality that exists within the emptiness this capacity of interpretation, of learning the emptiness of our lives and finding the tachlis and traversing the abyss, as Rabbi Nachman tells us in the 64th teaching. Because the abyss represents the unanswerable questions in our lives, those antinomies that can't be answered. Those places when if I gaze long enough, I will be tortured. I will hit a place of insanity. Our tzaddikim, far from the way that Yiddishkeit is very often taught in a modern case, never claim to be able to answer all questions. Adaraba, a Yiddishkeit without questions wasn't the Yiddishkeit. It wasn't the way of serving God. It's the very questions and the doubts and the chilul and the emptiness and the vacancy that seems so real in reality that gives birth to our capacity to traverse the abyss. If there was no abyss, there would be no abyss for the Yiddish neshama to jump over with unsubstantiated faith. Because if we demand substantiated faith, if we demand a reasonable faith, faith, then we'll always be stuck on one side of the river. We'll always be stuck facing the Nile River and never able to traverse it. But Rabbi Nachman says the Chiddush of Avram Avinu, who is referred to as an Ivri, is because he chose to jump over the abyss. And jumping over the abyss like an Ivri, which comes from the etymological root of an Ibor, a pregnancy, Pregnancy is something internal and external at once. To be ma'avir the halal, to jump over the halal, doesn't mean to ignore the emptiness or the vacancy. It means to mind the vacancy. Allow the vacancy to give birth to more life. Allow the emptiness in my lungs to give birth to a new inhalation that fills me with more intensity, with more capacity. And through this, we come to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu within the halal itself. Through this, we come to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the absence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. Through this, we come to fill the void and we come to complete the task that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has prepared for us, which is to draw meaning of our own creation into a world that appears meaningless very often, and to fill the halal, 
to dance in the machal, to transform the halal into a place of fullness, to recognize that simsum itself, emptiness itself is just, is just a mirage. And that in truth, it's fuller than full. It's so full that it can only manifest by way of emptiness. And when we learn to look at the voids in our lives, the abyss in our life, with the eyes of wholeness, with the eyes of David Malka Mashicha, of Tov Roi, to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu when we see that the void is overwhelming our reality, at that point, we come to a place of second naivete, of learning to live a post-traumatic life, of learning to create meaning in the destruction of meaning. And the thing about creating meaning after meaning has been broken is that once things have been broken, I don't have to be afraid of them breaking again. They can't break anymore. Things can't get lower, as the Balatanya tells us in the 36th chapter of Tanya, that this is the place, this is the dir betachtoinim, this is the sunken place. It doesn't get lower than this. This is the hatstara shabatech hatstara. This is the concealment within the concealment. This is what the Rashash refers to as this worldliness that lives in the belly of the snake. It doesn't get lower than this. As Mamela, all there is is up. And at that point, the halal and into I've chosen life for Banishlah, and I am not going to allow the shattering of my preconceived notions to destroy my life. I'm going to go weiter and I'm going to create more notions about myself. They may not be my preconceived notions. Now they're my own conceived notions. Now I've created the Torah of my life. I've created those luchoshnios after the shattering of the vessels. I've created the new Torah, the Torah of Atikastima'a, which is in truth obviously always only the old Torah of Moshe. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who teaches us this. Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be the one who teaches us how to sing the song of the void. He's going to be the one, the only one who's able to be ma'ayin in the halal hapanui, as Rabbi Nachman tells us, to gaze at the emptiness and to realize, you know what, there's fullness here as well. As Rabbi Nachman tells us, Moshe is the gematria 345. And he lived his life wedged between two polarities of existence. He lived his life wedged between the possibility of shmad, of heresy, which is Gematria 344, and the possibility of rutzon, of desire, which is the Gematria of 346. And like all of us, all of us have a chilek of Moshe Rabbeinu inside of us, and we all live straddling the very fine line between heresy and desire. And it's our choice to perpetually choose desire over and over and over again. And to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you've thrown me into a world of chol, you've thrown me into a world of chilul, but I'm going to make a kiddush Hashem, I'm going to see you here as well. I'm going to find you in the emptiness and I'm going to be makadesh, the Eretz Ha'amim, I'm going to be makadesh, the suffocating air of the Halal HaPanui, and I'm going to transform it into the Ruach HaPenu Mashiach Hashem, into that Ruach Chaim, into that breath of life that gives birth to reveal purpose and meaning in every sight that I encounter. And with this, we come to find that even when existence seems to shatter any conception of essence or meaningfulness, our essence and our meaningfulness survives its own destruction. There's an irreducible stone that remains in Evan Hashasia and Etzim Haluz, the Luz bone, that always perpetually remains for me to rebuild things. And Be'ezra Sashem, when we can transform the halal into a place of chayim, we can transform the tzimtzum from a concealment into a revelation, and we can get to a place of bitl b'metzias, into that place of ein soif mamish, where a person recognizes that even after the traumas, even after the falls, I am no different than I was a moment ago because I'm with you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That gam ki'ilach b'geit samavas lo yurara ki'ati madi be'ezra Sashem.
This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 